Hi there. I'm Dr. Sarah Wilson, naturopathic doctor, author, practice mentor, researcher, and passionate connector of the dots of health. As the medical director of Advanced Women's Health and the founder of Naturopathic Clinical Mentorship, I help patients and practitioners to deeply understand the connection between hormones and inflammation so that they can improve their most complex health concerns or cases. Advanced Women's Health, the podcast, is a space for practitioners and discerning health consumers to learn about cutting-edge research in the area of women's health. Before we get started, though, let's set the ground rules. This information is not meant to diagnose or treat. I am a doctor, but not your doctor. I completely understand that you're going to want to implement some of these strategies. We are talking about really compelling stuff, but please always do so with a medical practitioner's support. So let's dive in. Welcome back. Today's episode is one that is always exciting to me because I love when research comes out that uses functional foods to help to support so many different aspects of the body. Because again, a good diet can take you really, really far. But sometimes when we extract the benefits of those foods, we can get even further. So that's what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about functional foods, metabolic endotoxemia, which everyone's like metabolic, but, um, and it's a hugely fascinating area of research that I am very enamored with, of course, because it's me. (laughs) And then we're also going to talk about it within the context of type 2 diabetes, because let's fundamentally break down what causes type 2 diabetes. It's really important to think about this, because when I ask people that, um, patients, practitioners, even Dr. Google, essentially what we're told is crappy diet, lack of exercise, genes. So if you quote unquote, eat healthy, whatever the hell that means in the context of this day and age, and you move your body and you weren't born to a genetically unfavorable balance, then yeah, you're fine. Don't worry, move on. But the reality is, I don't know about your practice, but I see this in my practice every single day. I have patients who have type 2 diabetes, high normal blood sugar, weight loss resistance, all that kind of stuff, who are quote unquote, eating healthy, right? So Even according to me, sometimes I look at their diet and I'm like, yeah, they're pretty well balanced. That looks pretty good. Um, And they're exercising, sometimes in excess even, and they still have high blood sugar. They're still experiencing weight loss resistance. And so in that situation, how do you explain that to patients, right? They're eating healthy. They're exercising. Maybe their genes are involved, but how much can that really cause what's going on. And oftentimes when I ask a practitioner that, or when I mention that to a patient, I'm like, so what do you think's happening? And they're just crickets, right? Nothing. And it's because this area of research in terms of looking at metabolic endotoxemia, looking at the microbiome and seeing how it's related to insulin resistance and blood sugar balance and inflammation and all of those types of things, it's not mainstream yet. Um, Even though They've done things for years in the research to try to experiment with this. It's like, okay, if I give an antibiotic, is that going to make a difference with type 2 diabetes? Um, As we'll talk about today, some of the diabetes medication, the way it's potentially working is through modification of the gut microbiome. And some of the diabetes medications actually are causing 
unfavorable changes to the gut microbiome. So these are all things we need to think about. And microbiome medicine, hashtag, is really where we're going in so many different areas. It's really important to consider this um, in your practice, especially when you're dealing with complex systems interactions, because that is where the microbiome is related. So essentially, when we're talking about type 2 diabetes, the things we need to think about is that metabolic endotoxemia is involved. So we've talked about this a few times now. What is metabolic endotoxemia? So metabolic endotoxemia is essentially when you have the outside component of gram-negative bacteria. So essentially, there's gram-positive and gram-negative bacteria. It's the way that they stain. That's how we define them. And gram-negative bacteria have these sugar components on the outside that are called LPS, so lipopolysaccharide. And back in my research days, we used lipopolysaccharide as our control standard for inflammation. So we treated cells with LPS and we saw what happened. And that was our control for our inflammatory response in terms of what cytokines are released, what processes happen in response to LPS. So we know that it's inflammatory. And in extremely high levels, LPS is contributing to, is the contributor to sepsis. So we have this middle ground though, where it's not sepsis, but there is inflammatory responses coming from LPS that is for some reason, and there's a lot of different causes of this, translocating across the the intestinal tract into the bloodstream. So that is then going to activate inflammatory responses in the body, which have been shown to contribute to type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, inflammation, so many other things. They're even looking at it now with reproductive consequences. It's so fascinating. So The different ways we can think about that is you can either have a reason that you have a normal level of gram-negative bacteria, but more LPS is getting in the system, or we can have an imbalance. So you can have more gram-negative than gram-positive species or an overgrowth of gram-negative species that can then contribute to LPS translocation. And so if we're looking at GI testing, then we can oftentimes see this in the balance between firmicutes and bacteriotides. And yes, today you are going to hear me struggle with microbiome terms. <laughs> we all see them so different. Some people are like firmicutes. Some people are say firmicutes. Um, so yeah, it's you're going to hear that struggle today. So essentially, those are that's metabolic endotoxemia in a nutshell. Um, and those are some of the ways that the microbiome does impact type 2 diabetes. Other things that we can think of is just the increased in inflammation in general. Um, we know that 60 to 80% of the immune response sits in the gut. And so if you have an imbalance of species, if you have parasitic invasion, if you have pathogenic invasion, then of course you can have more inflammation and that can activate a variety of different cascades. And boom, 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 Bob's your uncle, you have an inflammation. We also know that gut microbiome changes are associated with increased adipose tissue inflammation. So when your adipose tissue is inflamed, so adipose is fat as a reference, but when your fat tissue is inflamed, it can do a whole host of things. We know that fat tissue is an endocrine organ, so it communicates so much. And so one of the things that can happen in that situation is we can see necrosis in some situations. So death because of lack of circulation. Um, We can also see just general inflammation contribute to increase lipolysis. And so when those fat cells essentially release their fat, um, we get an increase in circulatory free fatty acids. 
free fatty acids are a very important functional measurement of what's going on. And we can measure this in the blood work, which is fantastic. So when you see increased free fatty acids, there's a whole host of metabolic complications that can come with that, including insulin resistance, poor glucose uptake in the cells, so many other things. So very, very important to consider this and maybe even functionally measure this in some of your patients. The other thing, and I'm just doing a a small list, like I could go on for hours on all of the ways that the microbiome is involved, but I'm going to talk about the ones that are specifically related to this study today. So the other thing that we know is that bacteria, different bacterial species in the gastrointestinal tract can increase something called branched-chain amino acids. And branched-chain amino acids contribute to insulin resistance. So all of your patients who are trying to lose weight and are at the gym, and then they use BCAAs to quote-unquote power their workout, don't get me started, that needs to that needs to end because we know that even just short chain fat or branch chain fatty acid oh my goodness branch chain amino acids there we go finally got it out um, are involved with insulin signaling issues and they do increase insulin so that is something that we don't want from your microbiome and we definitely don't want in a supplement so what did this study go through finally now that we've introduced all of these different things what did the study do so they had people of a variety of age, different age categories um, who were diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And then, of course, we have our healthy controls. The type 2 diabetes patients were split um, and 50% of them received this cocktail. The other 50% of them just received a dietary outline. So the dietary outline was essentially saying reduce your calories by 500. That's the goal. So change your usual diet reduce by 500 calories. And then they recommended 45 to 55% carbohydrates, 15 to 20% protein, and then 25 to 30% fat. They also limited the amount of cholesterol to 200 milligrams per day. Um, They encouraged 20 to 35 grams of fiber consumption. To me, that's an issue. (laughs) Uh, The reason for that is because that's a great goal, right? Oftentimes we want to see people 30 to 50, but the standard American diet is like 10 to 15 grams. Of, pro- of fiber. So I really think they should have taken what their fiber was as an initial standpoint, understood what it was, and then increased it or decreased it a certain percentage. But we did see in this study that there were certain markers that were not changed significantly um, between the groups. And there was increased diversity that was seen across both groups, the placebo and the trial group. And I think that's just because they increased fiber in everyone unknowingly, <laughs> over-assuming how healthy people were. So essentially, that was the dietary control for both groups. And then one group received 14 grams of dietary nopal. So that's um, prickly pear cactus, which is which is crazy cool. And you can definitely get that in the supplement powder. They put four grams of chia seeds, 30 grams of soy protein, which we don't want whey protein because of all of the amino acid profile of that. Um, but obviously, I don't love me soy protein. And then four grams of inulin. So very achievable in your patient practice, which is also why I definitely wanted to bring you guys this study to show because there were awesome results. So this there in this study has been, I talk about it in my book, Finally Lose It. It's something that we have seen in multiple different variations with different fiber interventions having an impact. Um, so it's not isolated to this, but I thought they did a really, really good job of going through and giving an overview. So 
as a standard, this is what we saw. So going into the trial, they did everyone's blood work. And as expected, people with type 2 diabetes had higher levels of incretin. Um, the incretins are, are gut hormones. There's one called GIP. Um, and GIP was higher. Free fatty acids were higher. All of like glucose, all that kind of stuff was higher as well, but we're assuming not. Um, and GIP levels, interestingly enough, are associated when they're increased um, with cytokine expression, so increased inflammation with lipolysis. So again, increasing that that free fatty acid available to the system, which causes insulin resistance. Um, so those were higher. And the incretins are very interesting because the, now pharma companies are trying to use analogs of that and help with type 2 diabetes. And there are some interesting results. We can also make really big differences in both GLP-1 and GIP, which are the two main incretin hormones. They didn't measure GLP-1 here for some reason. Um, but we can see changes in those with supplements and food, which is what I love to see. So and then now when we're getting into the LPS, this to me was what's fascinating. And I wish we had a test for LPS. Some people in the world do, but there was a 54.2 fold higher circulating level of LPS in type 2 diabetes than healthy controls. So that was fascinating. There was no change in the alpha diversity between both groups, which is looking at diversity of the microbiome. So that was also very interesting. Um, they had a 10% increase in firmicutes compared to the healthy controls. And then they also had increases in levels of Prevotella copri. So Prevotella species, there's different ones. I wish that they would separate these on some of our GI testing, like GI map, they don't separate them. Um, but there's positive Prevotella species, and then Prevotella copri is not great. Um, it does a variety of things to the microbiome. It increases LPS. It's very LPS heavy, um, and it has a very cytotoxic form of LPS, I guess you could call it, a very inflammatory type of LPS. Um, and we also see that with that species, it increases branched-chain amino acids. So not something that we want to see. We also saw that there was an increase in a variety of other gram-negative inflammatory species in type 2 diabetes, and acromensia levels were high. So acromensia is fascinating. It is what we call a keystone species. So it's very important that acromensia is there because it's involved with feeding and fueling the microbiome or the enterocytes and stabilizing the microbiome. So it is a very, very important one, but it's very important that it's regulated at a specific level. So in this situation, um, it, was, it wasn't properly regulated, essentially. And then interestingly enough, the patients, because they further classified it, um, patients who were on metformin or a combination of metformin and another medication had highest levels of the Prevotelicopri. So that's not great because again, it could be an insulin sensitizing medication, but in certain people, it could also be contributing in the long run to more insulin resistance. So could this be the reason why metformin works in some people and not others or works in the beginning and then gets worse, uh, like people get worse and then they have to add more and more medications? Could it be that the metformin is actually contributing to this? It's an interesting theory, but it's something that we can't overlook, especially in a reproductive population. Now we don't only have to think about the mitochondrial consequences of metformin um, in terms of reproduction, but now we have to think about the gut microbiome. So 
more and more things to consider in this situation. But that's just, I'll plant that seed for you because they did find that in this study, which was fascinating. Um, they also saw a decrease in the metformin group with Fecalobacterium presensi. And so Fecalobacterium presensi is, again, a very important keystone species, but it has been directly associated with inflammatory conditions when it's low. And so it is a regulator of the gut microbiome. And you can essentially look at it and say, okay, when it's low, there's going to be inflammation. And so when there's such a clear marker between two things, it is very, very fascinating and something that we should be using and monitoring in our patient practice to understand what's happening. And I can tell you, doing a lot of stool testing in my practice, I do see Fecalobacterium presensi low in a lot of chronic metabolic and inflammatory conditions. So that's something that we need to work on to build up. And again, the main way to do that is food. You cannot supplement that bad boy. And so when you are using certain foods to increase that and balance out the whole microbiome, balance out the environment, contribute to the anti-inflammatory species, it's so critical that we are able to do that and give that information to our species or to our patients. So from that perspective, healthy also had highest levels of Fecalobacterium and B. fragilis. So all of these things put together before we stop for a break for everyone to catch their breath. What this study has shown so far is that metabolic endotoxemia, so gram-negative species, increase LPS. Though there they have LPS, which increases in the system. When that increases in the system, we get insulin resistance. And so insulin resistance obviously is then an inflammation and high levels of free fatty acids in the system is going to contribute to this whole cascade of events that causes type 2 diabetes. So if you have more anti-inflammatory species like Fecalobacterium presensi, if you have the right amount of acromensia, and even Clostridia, these are all keystone species, if you have low levels of Prevotellicopri and some of the other inflammatory species in the right balance between the bacteriodities and the firmicutes, what is going to result is a healthy microbiome that wants to support insulin signaling, that wants to decrease inflammation, and that wants to help to support glucose levels. So that is what got us here. And then now we will talk about the results of the study. But before that, just a quick message. Hey everyone, I just wanted to pop in here and let you know that the next Advanced Women's Therapeutics course is launching September 14th. So Advanced Women's Therapeutics is my course where I take you through the treatments for all of this research that we discuss. And we go through protocols, we go through dosing and supplements, and I give you essentially all of my clinical knowledge in a 14-week course. But it's better than that. It's not just a lecture style. We do not learn what we need to learn in lecture, in my perspective. We need to work in groups. We need to troubleshoot. We need to go through hard cases live. And so that is why every week we have a pre-recorded lecture and a live group chat. And so in that group, everyone is going to have an opportunity over the 14 weeks to bring a case. We are going to discuss that case. We're going to go through new research that's coming up that's related. And we're going to help you as practitioners to learn in groups and to figure out what to do when your initial treatment doesn't go well. Because that's the hardest thing. There's no mentorship. There's no support that's available out there, which is why I created this course 
by demand because we need it. In order to have great practitioners, we really, really need to be learning more than just the basics. And we need support in troubleshooting where to go and what to do when the initial things don't work. So I hope that you join me in the show notes. There is a link, but you can also find the program application on naturopathicmentorship.com slash program dash application. And I cannot wait to work with you. All right, we're back. So now what we are going to do is talk about the results of this study. So as a reminder, they were given nopal, they were given chia seeds, they were given soy protein, um, and then they were given inulin. And so what happened? So essentially, what we saw in this situation is that um, people, we, we saw a decrease in issues with inflammation. So I can give you the exact percentages, actually. I have them ready for you. So there was an 8.7% decrease, decrease in glucose. There was a 23% decrease in triglycerides. There was a 7.8% decrease in total cholesterol, and then a 9.9% decrease in LDL over 12 weeks. So 12 weeks, which with what I consider a pretty easy dietary intervention, and look what happened. So, so fantastic. We also saw significantly reduced levels of free fatty acids, so 15.6%, HbA1c decreased 7.2%, and CRP decreased by 13%. So, amazing. Um, we saw an increase, 34% increase in Fecalobacterium presenti, and there was 125% increase in acromensia. Um, and so seeing regulation of the acromensia, which is very interesting. There was also a reduced a Prevotelocopri by 13%. Um, and there, the abundance of Bifidobacterium longum was also improved, which is directly associated with insulin signaling. So that was very, very cool. So again, we can see here, it's very important that we're modifying the gut microbiome specifically related to type 2, type 2 diabetes. Outside of that, there was also some very interesting things that came out of this study. So this is not necessarily just type 2 diabetes related, which is why I think it's very interesting. But there is a component called TMAO. So, oh, you're going to make me do this. <laughs> Triethylamine and oxide. Wasn't as hard as I thought. Um, so from that perspective, TMAO is caused by essentially the bacteria so different types of bacteria metabolizing choline, betaine, and carnitine from the gut. And so TMAO is directly associated with cardiovascular disease, with atherosclerosis. Um, it's also associated with changes in cholesterol and bile acid metabolism, inflammation, and the way you get the atherosclerosis is through foam cell production. And so this is a component that is very important that we regulate, especially in our type 2 diabetes patients, because we know for a number of reasons that they are at a higher risk of cardiovascular disease. And one of them is because that we do see an increase in TMAO in this patient population. And they have, over time, it's, again, I find this very interesting, they started to try to use broad-spectrum antibiotics to see if TMAO levels change. Um, we know that kidney function is directly related to TMAO levels, and they can actually see a rise in direct correspondence with a decrease in kidney function. So 
your type 2 diabetes patients often don't have fantastic levels of kidney function. And these are things that we need to consider. So reducing inflammation, supporting antioxidants, supporting mitochondria are all important when we're thinking about kidney function in addition to so many other things. But looking at that, not only are we making a difference on this patient's blood glucose and their waistline, which they're going to be happy about, um, but we're making significant differences in their inflammation and their cardiovascular disease risk with a dietary intervention, which is, again, the magic in what we do. I think it's so, so important. Other things that came out of this study, which I thought was really cool and I didn't know, is that um, in this population, which I think this was done, I'm pretty sure this was done in Mexico. Um, So in this population, their type 2 diabetes patients had low levels of glutamine. And the low level of glutamine was directly associated with increased levels of LPS. So they're saying this may be indicative of increased intestinal permeability. And so Glutamine deprivation, they've shown in the past, they linked to study, which I thought was very interesting, can also increase pro-inflammatory cytokine production, um, and it can make a really big difference in different intestinal injury models. So with that, I was like, oh, okay, if we do see that a patient has a lot of inflammation, then they have a lot of issues with their gut microbiome outside of just the bugs. So we get in there, we regulate the bugs, we deal with infections we see, we support the anti-inflammatory species. It might not be a bad idea to give glutamine. And this is a treatment like the standard naturopathic treatment that I admittedly have fallen away from. I'm like, you know what? How much is it going to do? I tend to use different things that intersect at different levels of the pathway if, if I'm working on mucus production. So like N-acetylglucosamine versus glutamine. Um, But this was just very interesting that they're commenting on that, that those two things were directly related. So again, go back to the naturopathic standard. But all in all, this study I do think is worth a read. It brought out a lot of information for those who aren't familiar with metabolic endotoxemia. It talked about the importance of different dietary compounds in regulating the gut microbiome and how powerful that regulation can be. And then again, the outcomes on that. Because if you have a patient who is stuck and they're really trying to get results or they're trying to minimize that additional medication that needs to be added why wouldn't you do this type of intervention for 12 weeks and hopefully see these same benefits? If you have a patient who is on metformin, maybe we need to consider what other Prevotella support that we can give to prevent the march for them. Um, All of these things put together just go to help to support you in your clinical practice to not only say to a patient, yeah, diabetes is caused by a crappy diet, lack of exercise, and genetics. Now we can say, you know what? I see that you're eating healthy. I see that you're moving your body. I see that you're doing your best. And why don't we now dive into the gut microbiome? Because you're not only going to see benefits in your HbA1c, you're going to see benefits in your inflammatory response in your body. You're going to see benefits in liver function, in cardiovascular health, all of these things. Simple interventions, massive results. That's what I'd like to share with you. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and I cannot wait to continually share with you guys more in the future. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I would love a review because that is how more people find out about us and ultimately get well. 
If you are a medical practitioner and you're interested in taking one of my courses to learn how to implement these research strategies, see naturopathicmentorship.com. If you're a patient, we have a couple of options. I can try to hook you up with one of my trained practitioners, or alternatively, if you have a practitioner you love, I do offer one-on-one consults about your case to support that practitioner in learning further. For more information on these strategies, see the show notes. And finally, if you just want to keep in touch, I am always active on Instagram and Facebook, and I look forward to connecting with you there. Have a great day and be well.